O oh God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We are in a sermon series entitled Essential Truths for Challenging Times. We've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer. Three essential truths that God is our Father, His kingdom is coming, and now the final petition He provides for us. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. As I've done in the past, I will uh, use another passage to explore this fundamental essential truth that God provides for us. And the passage that we will look at is the passage from Matthew uh, that we heard read. And in this passage, I see five comparisons. These five comparisons lead to one logical conclusion and conclude with one practical application. So let's begin. Five comparisons that Jesus makes in this very well-known passage. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure in earth, on earth. And the first comparison I see is the comparison between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. So there is our first comparison. I think I've got that arrow going the right way. I couldn't remember if the lesser or greater which way it points, but I hope what I've communicated mathematically is treasures in heaven are greater than treasures on earth. And this is a theme that's repeated throughout uh, this teaching. Do not lay it for yourselves, treasures on earth is restated. Uh, main, or the, the main idea is restated a few verses later, no one can serve two masters. Behind the two treasures that we seek, there are two masters. Ma uh, Money is the master of those who store up treasures on earth. God is the master of those who store up treasures in heaven. And the same comparison is found at the end of the passage. The Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows them, but you, the Christian, the Gentiles, are simply those who do not know God. Those who do not know God lay up for themselves treasure in heaven. That treasure primarily is money. So we have under this first comparison is really broken into, uh, is restated throughout, the, throughout Jesus' teaching. It begins the teaching, it finishes the teaching. So this whole passage from 19, verse 19 to verse 34, is one consistent teaching. And reading this passage as a whole helps us illuminate and get a fine point on a point of application. Because we read at the end that, do not pursue the things that Gentiles pursue. And what are the things that the Gentiles pursue? They pursue, verse 19, earthly treasure, verse 24, money. But in particular, verses 25 through 34, illuminate what the Gentiles, what those who do not pursue God, what they spend their money on. They spend their money on what they will eat, what they will drink, or what they will wear. So, in other words, what, is, what do Gentiles pursue with their money, food, drink, and clothing? Now, I make this point, I, it sounds a little redundant, I know, but I make this point to put a fine point on the application. And the fine point is this, that I do not believe this passage is addressed primarily to the desperate, to those who are in need of basic provisions like food, drink, and shelter. I do not think we should go to those who are desperate, like those uh, that Aaron mentioned, and say, don't worry, God provides for the sparrows. He will provide for you. 
Although true, I don't think it's a helpful application. I think the passage is primarily addressed to people like you and me. People who have all we need, yet anxiously strive for more. More food, more clothing, more drink. The difference between these two pursuits, the treasures in heaven and treasures on earth, lie in a difference in vision. So to our second comparison, a healthy eye and a bad eye. You can see the passage highlighted here. The eye is the lamp of the body. Now, Jesus, uh, perhaps you've heard of the phrase, the evil eye, which does not mean that someone actually looks evil. It means that what they see is evil. They perceive things through a lens of selfishness. Uh, observe this quote, modern people view the eye as a receptor, how we see, but ancient uh, people viewed the eye as the projector of light. In other words, how they perceived things. Uh, King Saul is a primary example from the Old Testament of someone who had an evil eye. Now, Saul eyed David, and actually some translations say he eyed him with an evil eye. He eyed David, David the upstart king, and, and although Saul had everything he could ever possibly want, he envied David of his David's success. David, on the other hand, is described as a man with beautiful eyes, uh, which is, again, not a comment on his how he looked, uh, but a comment on what he saw. While Saul's vision was selfish, Saul's eyes were fixed on himself. David was a great word. He was magnanimous. His eyes were fixed on God. He filtered everything he saw through the lens of how it affected not himself, but God and his kingdom. So, two different pursuits, treasures in heaven, God, uh, or money, treasures on earth, uh, is based on two different visions, a healthy eye or a bad eye. And these two different visions are based on, lead us to two different visions of ourselves. So we move to our third comparison. And here it is, the life is your life and your body are more than food, drink, and shelter. Again, let me highlight this in the text. I tell you, your life is more than what you eat or drink. Your body is more than what you will put on. In other words, your body is more than food, drink, and shelter. Jesus teaches us that you and I are more than just machines. We are more than just bodies that need fuel. Uh, that need to be lubricated by drink or sheltered by clothing. We are more than our appetites. And I think today we increasingly define ourselves by what we want. I am what I want. You can even think of some of the big questions of our day, which I won't get into here, are based upon this very simplistic assessment of who, I, uh, of who we are. I am what I want. I am what I desire. Annie Leonard poignantly says, our identity has become that of primarily being consumers. We're not mothers. We're not mothers, uh, teachers, farmers, but of consumers. We shop 
and shop and shop. And Jesus is simply at odds with this simplistic and frankly very unattractive assessment of ourselves. You and I are not just machines that need fuel. Life is more than food, the body more than shelter. Now, why is this the case? Why is our life more than food, drink, or shelter? Because you are more than they, you, a person, or more than they, a sparrow. So, to our fourth comparison, which I turn to now and highlight for you in the text. Look at the birds of the air. Are you not more value than they? Rhetorical answer, yes. You are more valuable than they. Note the arrow, it's going the right direction. You, a person, are greater than they, a sparrow. And we could add not only greater than sparrow, but you're also greater than every other animal. This is my dog. It is a strange creature. My kids are ooing and aahing. They love their dog. I'm more ambivalent to this fine animal. It's part Dotson, part Beagle. Um, just a, a strange little creature. 90% of my dog's energies are spent on, are devoted to what she will eat, what she will drink, or where she will sleep, her shelter. She does not wear clothes, minus, unfortunately, a jacket that we have for her for winter, which I cringe every time she wears. Her needs are primarily, if not solely, physical. And she is different from me. Because my needs, your needs, are not primarily, well, primarily physical, but much more than that. If you fed me, watered me, and sheltered me, I would still not be, nor would you be, a happy human being. You have needs for community, intimacy, purpose, and significance. Why is this the case? Well, because you are more than a sparrow. You are more than every other animal that has ever walked the earth. Now, that seems like common sense, but the, even this common, this basic assessment that you are greater than an animal is not without some contention. This from The Economist, February 12th, or February 2012. Whales are people too, is the headline. Now, the article is about protecting uh, animal rights, and I am all for that. No reason to harm needlessly any of God's creatures. But to be clear on our language, animals do not have human rights. Animals have animal rights. Humans have human rights because humans are God's special creation. So let me summarize. An animal is satisfied by the satisfaction of their physical needs, food, drink, and clothing. We are not satisfied by the satisfaction of our physical needs. Why? Because we're more valuable than animals. We are humans. They are animals. We are made in God's image. We have a body. We have a soul. We, have, we need purpose. We need significance and intimacy. Neither the sparrow, nor the killer whale, nor my dog Lindy can claim to have that pedigree. We are more than they. And this leads to our fifth and final comparison. Having compared our value to a sparrow, we are more. We move to our final comparison, and God compares 
his promise to pr provide for the things he values. He will clothe you, a person, more so than he will clothe the lilies of the field. And again, back to our text. Consider the lilies of the field, how much more will he clothe you? Now let me return to my basic assessment. This passage is not addressed primarily to those who are in desperate need of basic provision. This passage is addressed primarily to the greedy who have all they need, yet anxiously strive for more. And Jesus is critiquing the silly idea that clothes or any other stuff can satisfy our deepest desires. Of course, our clothes do not make the man. Clothes do not establish our worth. But we, you and I, look to other things just as silly for our sense of worth. This is a true story, uh, a, a recent true story. This is a picture of a clergy group that I'm a part of. Twelve clergy, we get together every month, and we were to get together this week, and that was, of course, canceled. During our time together, every clergy shares a little bit of what they've learned and uh, how they're doing. And I have not been sleeping well, and so I wake up and then fall back asleep around three or four, and this may be the case for you, but in that time before the morning, uh, between four and 5.30 when my alarm goes off, my dreams are just weird. And no lie, this past week I had a dream about my clergy group. And here's the dream. I was sharing, and everyone, as I shared, got up and walked away. And so it's just poor me sharing by myself. Pathetic. It was kind of a nightmare. And I think if Sigmund Freud, or maybe you, if you were sitting there and I was lying on your couch, Sigmund Freud would probably say, well, Mr. Glade, it seems like you fear for your significance. It seems if you find your sense of worth in your, uh, the applause of your peers. And I would say, Dr. Freud, you're absolutely right. All of us seek our sense of worth, our sense of identity, our sense of glory through things that are just as silly, just as fleeting, just as ineffective, or as clothes, or as the applause of our peer, of our fears. We find our identity, our worth, our significance through the applause of our peers like me, maybe through the title of your job, maybe through the amount you earn, maybe through your success over others. Uh, the list is endless, maybe even through the quality of your clothes as Jesus critiqued. And if, what would Jesus say to anyone who sought to satisfy their deepest hungers? Not your physical needs, but the deepest hungers you have for significance, for meaning, for a place in the world with such shallow things. He would say this, consider the lilies of the field. Look at how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is gone in the 
Tomorrow is thrown in the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? He will clothe you. He will give you significance, glory, weight, because why? You are more than a sparrow. You are different than every other animal of the earth. And therefore, unlike every other animal of the earth, you will never be satisfied for food, drink, clothing, and all the treasures on earth. And this leads us to one logical conclusion. Five comparisons, one logical conclusion, and here it is. We can either lay up, store up, pursue earthly things like money, like an abundance of food, drink, and clothing. That will never satisfy your deepest desires. Or you can lay up treasure in heaven, seeking God and his kingdom, his righteousness, trusting that as we pursue him, he will satisfy all of those deepest desires. Said more elegantly by C.S. Lewis, aim at heaven, you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. That is the inescapable conclusion of this passage. And I have one practical conclusion. Watch how you see. It is surprisingly easy to see everything around us through the lens of how it affects us. I become the center of the world and everything that I see is measured whether it is good or it, whether it is bad based upon how it affects me. Archbishop William Temple identified this as a uh, unshakable part of our human nature and the real definition of sin. Here is what he said, a quote you have heard from me before. We open our eyes, note the vision. We see the world stretching out. We are in the midst of the world, and I am in the center of the world. I see where the horizon is depends upon where I stand. Something happens when we are in the center of our own world. Something very sad happens. and We begin to envy. We begin to envy the success of others. We begin to covet the success of others. We begin to even wish for the misfortune of others because we view everything of how it affects me. We become small, miserly, and small-minded. This passage is encouraging us to step out of our skull-sized kingdoms, to expand our vision past ourselves, to not be so concerned about myself, to set our vision on God and his kingdom, to pursue him with a noble and single-minded vision. So, five comparisons, one logical conclusion, one practical application, the practical application. Let's ask God this week to help us see the opportunities we have, the decisions we make, the events we hear about, 
not primarily through the lens of how these things affect us as if you and I were the center of the world. Instead, let's view the opportunities we have. Let's view the decisions that we make. Let's view the world as it is with God as the center and to pursue him and his kingdom, trusting that as we do, he will satisfy the deepest desires of our heart. We're going to close with a song. The song includes many pictures of flowers that you sent in. As we look, and we had too many pictures, by the way. Thank you for your participation in this little exercise. We had too many flowers. I'm sorry if yours did not make it. As we listen, look at the flowers of the field and consider if God so clothes them. These things that are gone to here today and gone tomorrow, can we not also trust him to provide us all the things, all the deep hungers of your heart as you pursue him.